this is Carmen Lane Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke. In the following special edition podcast, I speak to Dr. Toby Cumming on stroke, cognitive deficits and rehabilitation. This podcast was made as a complement to the International Journal of Stroke Rehabilitation Edition, published in January 2013, guest edited by Associate Professor Julie Bernhard and Professor Stephen Kramer. I'm Dr. Toby Cumming. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne. Is there a distinct profile of cognitive impairment after stroke? Uh, it's, I think it's hard to argue that there's a distinct profile, uh, which is one of the things that makes it very difficult to look at this uh, in this area. It's, it's a complex area. Uh, if there's any current line of thinking, it would be that the profile of deficits tend to have uh, attentional function, uh, attentional dysfunction and executive dysfunction as the standout uh, deficits in sort of a frontal profile, people think of it as. Uh, But I think that's, well, certainly not necessarily always the case. And it's probably partly explained by the fact that a lot of the tests we use, a lot of the neuropsychological tests we use to assess attention and executive function are uh, time-limited, they're speeded tasks. So if someone has cognitive slowing, which we know a lot of the stroke patients do and complain of, complain about, uh, they'll score poorly on these attentional executive tasks, perhaps not necessarily because they're particularly profound deficits, but just because they can't handle the speeded nature of the tasks. I'm not sure that we really can pull out a distinct profile. It does seem like attention and executive and visuospatial and being able to organise and plan your thoughts and behaviours is compromised more than, say, memory is. Uh, Most studies seem to back that up. And certainly you rarely see the dramatic uh, episodic memory deficits that we see in Alzheimer's in stroke. But there are uh, stroke patients that complain of memory problems and certainly do have memory deficits so so it is hard to say that there's a distinct profile I'd argue. Can the type of cognitive deficit be associated with features of stroke related damage? To some extent they can and certainly historically uh, some of the early work in aphasia uh, and localising Brokaw's and Wernicke's area came from stroke patients that had lesions in those areas and you know, had problems with speech production or or comprehension. So there, there certainly is a relationship. Uh, but beyond that, when you get into more diffuse cognitive impairment, it's been very hard to draw a one-to-one relationship between side of damage and, and deficit. We know that larger lesions tend to create bigger cognitive deficits. We know that cortical strokes tend to create bigger cognitive deficits than subcortical. Uh, but there's nothing particularly remarkable about that. That's exactly what you'd expect if you have greater damage in, in cortical areas. Uh, one, of the, one of the main ways we've looked historically, we've looked at uh, this structure-function relationship is lesion mapping. So just map where the lesion is and look at the deficit and try and get a correspondence between the two. Uh, and particularly in aphasia and neglect, this has been quite fruitful. We've found sites that seem to really matter uh, for visuospatial processing in neglect and language processing in aphasia. 
But there are more recently uh, people like Maurizio Corbetta has really been at the forefront in neglect of constructing theories around uh, the brain as a network and showing that really it's damage in any particular place in the visuospatial network that's important, not just a certain lesion uh, taking out uh, specific so areas when you of say, the brain. Oh, sorry. When you say aphasia, of course, you mean speech and language skills. What, when you say neglect, what exactly do you mean? So neglect has multiple uh, manifestations, but visuospatial is the main one we think of where people can't direct their attention to a certain side of space. And it's often uh, related to right parietal stroke and people uh, neglecting the left side of space. And it's not a visual problem. Their visual system can register that side of space. It's, it's an attentional problem. They can't direct their attention uh, to that side of space. There is evidence now that it is you don't want anywhere in that network disrupted, otherwise you may have a deficit in, a, in your visuospatial attention. And how are you measuring the lesions that you're talking about? That's, that's a really good question. Historically, what people have done, at least in the lesion mapping studies, has they've used voxel-based morphometry to look at, take a brain scan, you add up the voxels that are you can you know visually inspect the lesion and you can get computer programs to tell you a lesion size and location using the voxels that are that are a different shade on the image you know where the lesion is and the the powerful thing about that approach is you can get a group of patients and overlay their lesions and so you can create this voxel based map of the lesion for each patient and then overlay, say, 40 patients on top of each other and find the specific area that, you, if you're lucky, you might find one area across those 40 patients that overlaps in all of them. Normally it's not that exact. But it's a way of using the traditional neuropsych method, which was often single-case studies, and but using it and making it more powerful by adding it across the and group. And then does it find points of commonality that's, and symptoms? That, and... That's right, yeah. The problem with that approach is you sort of have to start from a deficit. You take 40 aphasia patients or you take 40 patients with neglect and then go back and look at where their damage overlaps. And it's not so helpful in more diffuse cognitive impairment because the patients don't have such a marked or easily definable uh, cognitive impairment to then go back and look at their damage. And so can interventions improve post-stroke cognitive performance? They can, but we certainly need to do a lot more work in this area. Uh, a lot of the work to date has been in small groups and single cases and has shown promising results, but there's very little in the way of definitive uh, interventions and you only have to look at the several Cochrane reviews that have been done, cognitive interventions uh, after stroke, and there's very, they're very thin on the ground, any, uh, any studies. With aphasia, there's been some interesting work on constraint-induced therapy, getting people not to use gesture and body language and not, not allowing them to use compensatory strategies, if you like, to get their message across, just focusing on getting the word right that they're finding really hard to uh, say, for example. Uh, there's also been studies in repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation that have shown some promising findings in encouraging better speech in aphasic populations. 
But these studies really are small, usually less than 10 patients, and we don't really understand why it works when it does work. And same, for, same in neglect with something like uh, prism adaptation. The patient wears special glasses to deviate their uh, line of view to try and get their attention more focused on the left side if that's where they're having trouble. So does that mean it's a leap to neuroplasticity in essence? That's, that's the idea, is not just that you're switching their view to further to the left, but by doing that you're somehow driving plasticity in the brain and getting the attentional system primed to uh, focus more on that side of space. But again, very small numbers in those studies and we don't really understand why it works uh, when it does work. There's plenty of other candidates for intervention, blood pressure control, exercise, enriched environment, exciting ways to drive plasticity that people are looking into, but as yet very little uh, really robust positive outcome from those studies. You've been listening to a podcast interview with Dr Toby Cumming from the Flory and Carmen Leif Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke. The International Journal of Stroke is the flagship publication of the World Stroke Organisation. Please consider becoming a member.